0: Hello, and welcome to To the Hilt, a stage combat podcast. Uh, I am your host, Brian Latronic. Thank you all for coming back and joining us for episode two. Um, If you have not listened to episode one, please feel free to go back and uh, have a listen to that. Uh, For those of you who did listen to episode one, uh, you know that my first few guests that I'm going to talk to uh, during this podcast are people who were uh, instrumental and important uh, in my stage combat journey, my personal journey. And uh, again, for those of you that heard the first episode, you heard me talk about um, this production of Three Musketeers in 1989 that really just kind of blew my mind and set me on this path. Uh, well, joining me, my first uh, guest this week is the gentleman who Corey that show, uh, Chuck Coyle. Chuck is a a fight master with the Society of American Fight Directors. Uh, His fights have been seen uh, all over the country, especially in Chicago, where he is based, as well as on Broadway and even internationally. And uh, thank you very much for being here, Chuck. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Brian.
0: Awesome. So first things first, we have to talk about Musketeers. (laughs) Um, And I know we have before, but that production was just so I mean, even now, all these years later, I still remember it. And I still, you know, I remember the set. I remember the costumes and it just, it was so striking to me. I'd seen shows with stage combat in it before, but this was, for me, it was wholly different. I'd never seen fights like these. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that was like? Because you were essentially rehearsing two plays.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, that that entire process was uh, a Herculean uh, effort. Um the uh, the concept uh, at the uh, the old uh, absolute theater company. We uh, basically took the book uh, and a cast of thirty plus people, uh, and a playwright, and three assistant directors, and a director, and a fight director, and a dialogue coach, and a dance choreographer, and we workshopped the entire book for the better part of ten months. My God! Uh, to uh, create a, a script. And then uh, somewhere in there, the original uh, performance venue uh, was no longer available to us. So we had to scramble to find a second performance venue, which meant that I had to re-choreograph the entire show uh, for the second (laughs) venue. And then three weeks later, uh, just after we'd gotten that done, uh, we lost that venue and I had to do the entire show a third time for the the space that you actually saw it in over at the old Uh organic space. Sure. uh so uh, by that time the cast was uh very accomplished <laughs> wherever they started out with they had a lot of experience sword fighting and a lot of different uh different venues um i can honestly say i've never had an experience quite like it before or since
0: <laughs> <laughs> and because you had a you know if i recall a lot of the people in that show uh you know th- there were a lot of stage combat people in that show people have gone on to other uh, I think Ned Moshell was in that show, who's had a yeah. you know amazing fight director career. Um, were, were you kind of spoiled with the people you had, I mean, did you because it, it's so rare we actually get trained actors, and it seems like you had quite a few.
1: We had quite a few. Um, uh, there it was a, it was people ran the gamut from uh, little to no actual stage combat uh, to people like Ned who had quite a bit, or uh, Gary Bowick who had a great deal of experience. Uh, it was also uh, at the very first national stage combat workshop with me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're gonna talk um, yeah. about that later,
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did, were, was there something you were trying, was there a, a feel or um, a style or something you were trying to emulate? Because, well, from what I remember, it was, they were, you know there, it was kind of a swashbuckly thing, but there was also a, quite a bit of danger, and it well, well, assume danger in it, um, and, Again, I'd never seen fights, at least on stage, that had that kind of combination of that kind of fun, Swashbuckley feel, but yet also felt dangerous.
1: Yeah, the two things uh, in in talking with everybody, the performers and uh, Warner Crocker, the director, and um, what we kind of decided on was we wanted to have a, a real edge, a real uh, feel of reality, obviously, Um as reality as uh, real as you can be with making sure everybody gets to walk home in one piece right. uh, but have it uh, it we didn't want a a real there are no consequences to violence sort of attitude toward it and uh so we wanted a a, a sort of a dark feel to it anytime somebody pulled the weapon you knew there was a possibility that that character was going to be seriously hurt um and also they have each of the fights have a different um I want to say a different point, but uh, make sure that the the violence didn't stop the play, that it, uh, everything continued the storytelling, and so that each bit of theatrical violence uh, communicated something new. So, I mean, everything was unique, so we didn't. because there are so many sword fights, or so many fights in that show. yeah, it would be easy for it to become uh, repetitive and, and boring, so we tried to really make sure that everything had its own, its own character.
0: Absolutely. And and I think that's what I remember about it too. It was kind of, I don't want to say story theater, but it was very, um, kind of representational, uh, you know, as, as ornate as the costumes were, and because it, it switches locations so much, I remember it was like constant motion and there there was always things going on.
1: Yeah. Things were, uh, that big unit set with the two staircases going up and down, um, it was it was virtually everywhere thats that. <laughs> set
0: <laughs> it it, uh, it well as as uh, again anyone who listened to, to episode one will, will, will know um yeah it, it for whatever reason it was that show and those fights that just it, it did it for me it was uh, I, it was something that I'd never experienced before but it was something I really felt. I had to do. And it was really, it was a, a very important, you know part of my stage combat journey. And then if I can uh, tell a story to uh, embarrass Chuck a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've known Chuck for, for many, many, many years. And um, this was, oh Lord, I want to say about 20 years ago. But um, uh, I was out to dinner with Chuck and uh, talking and having a great time. And so we settled up, we left. And as we were leaving, Chuck said, hey, Brian, come, come to my car for a second. And I said, okay. So uh, I go to his car and he pulls out from his car a copy of the poster from that production, <laughs> which I remember so vividly. And it is one of my most cherished things. Um, I'm amazed it survived Hurricane Harvey, but it did. Um, and I actually display it in my office because it's something I'm, I'm very proud of. And it, it kind of, it, it, it reminds me of where it all started. It reminds me of you know, not to lose that kind of wide-eyed innocence and that joy and that—you'll uh, pardon the toddler noises—that um, <laughs> kind of, that kind of joy and and excitement that I felt, and it's kind of something I always try to recapture a little bit because I don't know—you know, you know if there there might be some some teenager that comes to see my show and thinks it's amazing, and then kind of the cycle continues. Um, but speaking of journeys, um, let, let's talk a little bit about about yours. You did mention uh, you were at the first um SAFD National Stage Combat Workshop uh in 1980 had you done any stage combat before that or was that kind of the first introduction I not, to it
1: I, I actually I was uh in the professional actor training program at Southern Methodist at the time and I had done competitive fencing and and uh judo and uh, uh some other martial arts uh prior to it not anything uh that we would recognize as stage combat per se mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, one of the reasons I went to Southern Methodist is I was going to get the opportunity to work with B.H. Barry because he was the adjunct professor who taught that down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had not had it. I had not had that opportunity yet. And uh, I walking through the hall, I just saw a poster for the this stage combat workshop and thought it would be a great way to spend my summer. I didn't realize it was going to be the way I was going to spend the rest of my life. <laughs> um, uh, but I went. Uh, it was at uh, Western Illinois University, uh, so I, there was nothing else to do but practice stage combat. That was three years of graduate
0: school. Yes, indeed. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> Macomb is a, a, is a place. It, it um, is in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely in Illinois. Uh, but um, it it I knew I was interested in it because I'd always been uh, interested in, I loved fencing, I loved martial practice, and uh, I was looking for a career in the theater, and so I thought this would be a dovetail. I didn't realize when I started how much uh, I would find a, a theatrical home doing it, uh, and some uh, lifelong friends. It's, there's something about, I don't know what it is about pretending to uh, beat other people up that uh, uh, creates great uh, long-lasting friendships, uh, but as I mentioned, I mean, uh, Gary Bullock, uh, who was a Fight director in Chicago and uh, performer mm-hmm. was there. Uh, Ian Rose, who is uh, a fight master uh, residing now in Philadelphia, was there. Uh, several other uh, Drew, people. Uh, Drew Frazier,
0: uh, I know, was. Drew uh, uh, was. Uh,
1: Drew Frazier was, uh, was there, yeah. uh, and it was all uh, taught by uh, uh, Dave Boucher and Eric Fredrickson and Joseph Martinez. Uh, and uh, it was it was three weeks of sweating and sword fighting, and and uh, by the by the end of it, I knew that that's. What I wanted to do with my life, well, and and so,
0: and um, I actually I, I talked to both Ian and Andrew uh, when I was working on the book because you know because of their experiences there, and neither of them really could remember. Um, so I'll I'll see if you remember um, the the actual techniques that you learned. Uh, do you remember? were they or how different are they from kind of what's practiced now as it's, has there been a big evolution or is it, or a lot of the same techniques and ideas kind of still, still taught. Um,
1: Unarmed is significantly different. Um, everything was, uh, very upstage, downstage, what we would call completely stacked or masked, um, a great deal of fear of anyone seeing the, the, uh, the nap. Um, And, uh, and things have become much more uh, refined and uh, sophisticated, especially after working uh, with people who worked in the film industry and working at mocap things have have come significantly further. Um, The basics of the weapons play wasn't wildly different it just had not been as influenced by historical research as it is now. Uh, it was very, very, it, it looked very similar to me just because it was very, very much uh, right off the, the fencing strip. Uh, so everything was uh, very heavily influenced by competitive fencing, which some parts of it still are. Uh, but sure. now we've had so much scholarly research and people actually delving into how they uh, uh, going into the manuals and how people actually used it, that the, that influence that influences, has moved in uh, significantly. I don't know that it was, it's changed everything quite as much as unarmed has been changed, but uh, that's what yeah. I recall.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I know uh, Drew mentioned, um, you know, c- speaking of how things have changed, you know, he mentioned that he and L- Joseph Martinez literally made all the swords in his garage. Yes, they um,
1: did. And they were wildly, wildly heavy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, t- to me, that's just wild because now, you know, have, having, you know, having kind of seen evolutions, in, in, in the techniques and sword cutlery and to, to think there was ever a time when, you know, th- there there was nothing, you know, and, and everything yeah. had to be kind of made from scratch.
1: It was, uh, there was not, I mean, you've got so many really high quality theatrical sword makers or cutlers if you, uh, 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 right now uh, that mm-hmm. people who can uh, produce them understand the, the needs of the uh, the industry and have the wherewithal to to make them and have enough demand to actually make that uh, worth their time at that when we started out and again. The, Joseph made a bunch of stuff out of wrought iron in his garage and made rapiers out of uh, Fencing at that had been modified and mm-hmm. And you know the, the quarter stabs were closet rods wrapped with duct tape and stuff we would never we would never consider now, but uh, yeah it was it was anything that you got was a modified the, uh, a fencing weapon. It wasn't until much later that we got the embarrassment of riches we really have now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now you, you mentioned uh, both David Boucher and, and Eric Fredrickson, who I know have been very large influences on you. Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about, about working with both of them and how how their work influenced you?
1: Sure. Uh, uh, David, after that that workshop, uh, David was scheduled to come down and uh, fight director of production of uh, Romeo and Juliet at, at Southern Methodist. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I somehow managed to get myself in a cast and uh, become fight <laughs> captain for it. Um, and Dave and I, Dave and I had hit it, hit it off at the uh, the workshop, and we continued to uh, find a good working rhythm at uh, SMU. And oh, just a, it was about a month before I graduated, he called me and asked if I was available to go perform in and be his fight captain for a production of uh, Three Musketeers at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Uh, okay. I I took uh, a whopping second and a half and said yeah, uh, and. <laughs> And that began uh, about a two and a half year period of uh, me kind of basically just following him around the country uh, uh, performing in shows or writing on choreography or uh, helping him out in any way I, I could well well that was a, it was an amazing opportunity uh, and I'm very lucky to have had it. Uh, and that's you know, uh, I can go on with an en- endless series of me polishing <laughs> swords and carrying his bags, but uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how I uh, got with uh, David and uh, with uh, Eric. It was uh, I, of course I'd studied with him, and he he actually got me into Aikido, uh, which is a, oh, okay. an art I've practiced for the last I, however however long it is I've been alive. Um, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, I got a job uh, doing the fights for the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. And they let me know that uh, they, you know, their equity, their primary equity artist that year had a lot of stage combat experience. Uh, he was playing Richard III. And did I know uh, Eric Fredrickson? And I said, Yes, I do. Why are you <laughs> having me come in and do the fights if Eric's going <laughs> to be there? And uh, Eric had, uh, they talked to him about it and uh, he had recommended me for the job. And, uh, and just told them point blank that he wanted to focus on acting. I didn't want to do the fights for it. And uh, so, I, I, through his very, very gracious, uh, uh politicking, I, uh, I got that gig. And uh, and I could not have seen anybody who was more professional and more giving uh, in in the role. I mean, playing that gigantic role uh, sure. as he was to me in, at that time. So yeah, I had I had a couple of uh, uh, very. Uh, very giving and uh, uh, very important mentors in those two gentlemen.
0: And, and it sounds like, from what you talk about, that you, you learned a lot on the job. Um, whereas you know now it now you know their classes are much easier to find, much easier to to you know my, much easier to find teachers, much easier to find classes even than when I started. Um, did you take any formal stage apart from the, the few you talked about, or did you learn most of it? in the shows working with with Most, eric and dave and
1: um stage stage combat per se uh was pretty much on the job i took the uh, uh stunt workshops and uh, and that kind of stuff um mm-hmm. and then uh expanded my through both eric's encouragement and my own curiosity my uh my martial training, and uh, studied Aikido and Yagyu shinkage Sportsmanship swordsmanship, and uh, did a little dilettante training in Wing Chun and Uang Do and a bunch of other stuff, uh, just because I was fascinated with it and wanted to try to to bring it to bring it in. But in terms of uh, what we would call formal stage combat training, it it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it on the job for the from the guys who were doing it. Um, and then, as as time has gone by, now that we of course we have this enormous and wonderful workshop industry, or did until the world yeah. got fire, yeah. uh, where you can now actually, I know I can actually participate and see somebody who's done uh, a great deal of work on historical uh, rapier play, or Sp- the actual Spanish style Navaja work, or mm-hmm. and actually get some uh, get some more formal training. Uh, but the, when i started out that it, it really wasn't available uh most even the the league schools uh, didn't have stage combat or didn't have it regularly
0: yeah that's that's kind of something you know that i found um i know what i uh, talking to alan suddeth uh, for the for the book he that's something he alluded to as well is that you know there there was you know you know they they like you say they'd bring in an adjunct or a part-time but yeah to have mm-hmm. a, a a full-time uh, professor that taught like regular stage combat classes, I know was, was quite rare until probably the early mid eighties, um, yeah. even the late eighties. Um, uh, I know the, the vast majority of your um, professional life has been in Chicago, which is how I got to know you and got to know your work. Um, what brought you to Chicago?
1: Uh, I was actually born here uh oh, but okay. I, I I came back after that uh, stint on the road with Dave um there was a lull and my parents were uh getting ready to sell my childhood homes so I came back to help them prep it and then while I was here I started Oh, well, I should I should try to revive my acting career in addition to all over town and got some work and got a girlfriend and decided to stick around and the next thing you know it's Many many years later, <laughs> and I'm still <laughs> here.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh no, nothing. I'm just.
0: Oh, okay. Um, uh, so you know, uh, so much of your work in, you know, as you say, you 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 have a very martial, you know, style that you've studied many different martial arts. Um, I'd say the, you know, in, in the SAFD, certainly the the things I think that you are, I wouldn't say known for, but the things that people tend to look at you for specialists as certainly is the knife work, uh, that you're unarmed as a very martial you know, flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know also kind of leading into the next idea, um, you have worked uh, on the premieres of, of several of Tracy Letts' plays. Um, you did uh, Killer Joe and, and Bug and uh, Superior Donuts and of course August H County. Uh, and I know you've had a, a, a really cool working relationship with him. Um, did you find that your kind of method or style lent, well, because he writes a very specific type of play. Mm. Do, do you find that, is that maybe why you kind of gelled together, is that your aesthetic kind of matched his?
1: Uh, I, th- you'd have to, you'd have to ask Tracy, but I think, oh, it, well, uh, I think, uh, based on our conversations is that, like and at Superior Donuts is a great example. Um, he loves that. He loves to tell the story through physical action and he loves to tell the story. He's got a fascination with violence and how people react to it and respond to it. Um, and that dovetails to a lot of what I believe uh, the, the focus and purpose of the art form is supposed to be. So we, we get along in that regard very, very well, um, particularly for like, and of course we were working on Bug and uh, Killer Joe. I also at that time had a great fascination with how grotesque can we make this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's uh, a good that, place to try that out and that was and that was dovetailing to where he was at in his life at the time as well uh, and so um yeah uh i think it's i think it's just the uh the mutual desire to to tell the story through physical action uh and if you i mean when you just read what he's put down, he gives you a map uh, of course, it doesn't necessarily a few of the conversations that we'll have would be, what you've asked me to do is like physically impossible <laughs> in live theater without killing somebody. Exactly. Well, oh, it's the pace holder. We'll figure it out. Okay.
0: And and I, and th- that's what I think is really cool about, about his plays. I know look, just looking at the, the the published you know script of, of Superior Donuts, I mean, he takes a good page of stage directions oh, to really map out what he thinks the story of the fight should be. But he's very um careful to not dictate choreography. He's he actually, I think, very much says it, you know, the actual choreography should be left up to the fight director and the actors. But he as you say, he he has that storyteller's mind mm-hmm. so that he knows this he knows what story it wants to tell. And and I think I mean, I wish all playwrights could do that with their fights. Um but I, I think uh, it seems like he has a lot of respect for for stage combat and for the and for what fight directors do.
1: I think that's absolutely correct. Um, well, if you look at I mean, if you look at Donuts, that uh, Arthur has in in most plays he would have a scene where he makes the decision to do what he does at the end uh, to launch into that big fight, and instead sure. uh, Tracy wants that entire story to be taught. Through the physical action, so you know it's it's it, it's all it's all there in the hands of the the fight director and the actors, with his guidance, of course. But
0: oh, absolutely! Um, so um, you've you know you you you've you've had the, this amazing career in theater, but you've also done a lot of uh, work at the opera. I know at the Lyric oh. Opera.
1: <laughs> yes, I have.
0: <laughs> and yeah, they're going through their own things right now too. Yeah,
1: um, I'm, I'm. Yes, yes, they are, and wow, uh, <laughs> in the interest of being politic. Um, yes, I have, <laughs> I have been at. Uh, this would be, this would have been my 21st season at the Opera. Oh, wow. Um, uh, which is fascinating to me because I am, I'm. I, my father, uh, amongst many other things, was a drummer in a jazz band. My niece. Uh, is a professional violinist. My I have a nephew who's a drummer and a very successful drummer in a rock band, and I am almost a musical.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and so, to have uh, a long career working in one of the premier opera houses in the world has been fascinating <laughs> to me. <laughs>
0: what what um what do you consider? Because I know I've 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 worked very little in opera, but um what do you you consider some of the, the big differences or challenges uh, versus working in theater? I'm, I'm, I, have an, I have an idea, I know what you'll say, but I wanna hear
1: what you have um, to say. Uh, just in, in terms of mechanics, it's uh, the music is everything. Uh, sure. the, the performers are, I just say slaves to. but every, if it's not in the music, it doesn't exist. They're not there. Nobody's going home to whistle the fights. Um, right. And uh, so once you you know you start you start with that perspective and realize that the they have uh, as singer as singers who are not mic'd and and working in this grand style and all the physic uh, all the physical stuff that they have to do to be able to produce that sound you have to be aware of how how much can they actually do and still have the breath to be able to do it where do they need to stand? Do they need to see the maestro
0: for something?
1: Because they're trying to keep time with the orchestra. And so there's a lot of mechanical things that you have to do to make sure that you're supporting the artist and their ability to do their job. Um, Sure. And, and then, uh, and very quickly and just keep in the back of your mind that it, that it's not about you. (laughs) I, uh, I was, uh, I had a, had a lovely bit in a production of Carmen many years ago and it was great and the and the uh the woman singing the role liked it uh, and had a couple of changes she wanted to make and i was pondering the changes because i wasn't wasn't sure how they were going to work in my grand scheme of things and the rehearsal pianist uh, a wonderful man was wandered over and said just keep in mind the the show is called Carmen. Got it. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for putting everything in perspective for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which which actually brings me to an, another point. Um, you know, especially working, as you say, at one of the most premier opera houses in the world, you've also had to work with probably some of the most premier opera singers in the world. I have. and. <laughs> and Mm -hmm. you know opera singers you know some opera singers are 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 absolutely lovely and they they work hard and they're 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 really game for anything but i can imagine that that ego you know i I assume it's probably probably similar working in in hollywood or even on broadway you know certain Mm -hmm. certain actors or performers or singers have that ego where you kind of have to swallow your pride for a second because they're the ones getting paid the big bucks and i'd say the, the show's not called fight director
1: yeah, uh, it's, I would say if you're working in grand opera for the live theater version of it, you're working as close to being on a movie set uh, as you are going to be outside of Broadway. And, and some of those budgets are bigger than anything they'll put on Broadway. It's I mean, mm-hmm. just an enormous amount of money uh, and a lot of pressure on time. And um, as you say, uh, many of the performers are fantastic uh not only, not only can they sing but they're good actors and good movers and uh generous with their time and um and then you know you also have people who are uh, and it's it's an industry i mean it's a, a performance it's a entertainment industry uh, issue is uh if if you were if you as a pre- uh, performer are concerned about uh, any number of things. If you're if you're afraid that you're not going to be able to be received well in this uh, role, you can become very protective of what you're doing and very sure. resistant to change. Um, and I think and what I find mostly is it's people who are afraid that whatever I'm going to do is prevent them from Looking good or doing their best and so most of what I do to deal with that is just assure them and set things up that you know this is this is we are all here for you right. what do you need uh primarily I'm here to keep you safe and make sure that you know you you look you look good and uh i've been pretty i would say i've been pretty lucky uh over the past twenty years in being able to be successful with that and uh you know I, I wouldn't say that every opera fight is exactly how I would like them to be, but sure. uh, the the director's happy, the performers are happy, and everybody's going home with all their teeth in their head. So I'm I'm <laughs> content that I've done my job.
0: Exactly, mm. exactly. I know just from my own experience, um, because I find too, and I don't know if this is your experience. Not only do the performers vary in you know, ego and things like that. But I find the directors do too. Um, Because I know, just as you're working with some very, you know, A-list opera singers, you're also working with some very A-list directors. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Just from my own experience, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, working for a summer opera company and they were doing uh, uh, La Traviata and Man of La Mancha. And Traviata had a few, you know, pushy, pushy, slappy things. And the director was fantastic she wanted me there all the time and she asked for my input and she was just collaborative and it was a, she was a great director it was a very good experience and then the director they had for man of la mancha who was an amazing director he directed operas all over the world the royal opera house and and la scala and, and all these places um great director and fairly nice guy but when it came to the big uh, uh rape scene of aldonza um, and, and I was there, I was there as often as he would let me be there. Um, when it got to that point, he kind of, cause he, he was a dancer as well. So he, ki- he kind of staged everything. He, he, he staged the story and then he kind of left it to me to make sure that, as you say, everyone walked, walked away, you know, unharmed. And, and, and again, because he, he, he is this, you know probably making more money than I was, most definitely. And, um, but, but um, you know, it, it's, it's also kind of, because the singers were great. They were game for anything. But then the director had very specific, he said, this is what I want. To the point where he actually staged the movement. And then I was like, okay, well, for this kick, put your foot here, don't put it there. Uh, let, let the slap be here and not there. And it was kind of just, you know, tidying up what he'd already done. And I don't know if if that's something that that's common, um, because again, that's really the only opera experience I've ever had.
1: That happens. Uh, that absolutely happens, uh, especially if it's uh, a production that they have done several times over. They have a vision in their mind of what they want. Um, um, especially, particularly if it's a somebody with a a dance choreographer background. In my experience, anyway, they they're very much about um doing the staging themselves the most 90 percent of the time if i actually go up and it's that's when it becomes me a safety coach more than anything else it's we can certainly do that if that's what makes you happy since i'm here to make everyone happy but if you continue to do that that guy's going to die so (laughs) uh, and they usually take that pretty well uh but as long as i'm not uh, stepping on anybody's um i i've kind of left with some exceptions, I left the the ego at the door for most of that. Um, I worked with a, a marvelous um, director, geez, like 17, 18 years ago there at Lyric, and uh, we hit it off, and we had, were having a, a drink after rehearsal, and he said, you know, my career really, really took off when I started caring, when I started caring less about I'm trying to remember exactly how you put it. Um, well, basically, what he was saying is, I'm, I stopped directing for myself and just started letting letting go a little bit. And I've uh, yeah, I've taken that to heart. It's been a lot easier. Sometimes, sometimes you're very, very happy and you get the artistic uh, satisfaction out of it. And sometimes, and I'll be quite honest, sometimes it's a job.
0: Yeah, absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. um and uh, um you know you, you you have spent you know again the, the majority of your professional career in chicago um is, is there a reason you decided to to stay in chicago because again you've 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 worked all over the country even internationally mm-hmm. but you 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 kind of keep you've kept chicago as your home base for quite some time apart from the fact that you were you were born in Chicago, is there a particular reason why why you decide to stay there?
1: I love the theater here. Um, I love the. Um, I would. I can get on the train and go downtown, or I could last year, <laughs>
0: exactly. uh,
1: and I could. I can go to rehearsal at Lyric Opera and then walk across the Loop to the Goodman and and work in another. World-class theater, and then if if the stars align, then take a longer walk and go over to Chicago Shakes or take the train up to the Steppenwolf, or or any number of other places. Um, the The acting talent is so good, the directing talent is so good, the audiences care about it uh, in a way that they don't. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I'm not don't want to disrespect new york theater or london theater but um i haven't seen anything anywhere else that's been any better than i could see here and i'd just as soon work here
0: no, i i i agree and again as, as most of you out there know um I'm, I'm originally from chicago too i'm living in texas right now mm-hmm. but um yeah i spent most of my life in chicago and i i completely agree it's 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 a it's a strong community, um, and to kind of you know tie it back to Tracy, Letts, um, I I was actually lucky enough to go see Superior Donuts uh, at at Steppenwolf, um, uh, because you know because obviously I wanted to see Chuck's work. I'm also wanted to see uh, Michael McKean was starring in it, and I'm a huge Spinal Tap fan, so you know I really want. And he was oh, he was
1: he was a delight oh. to work with. Couldn't couldn't have found somebody more game and uh, more professional.
0: And, and and he was he was tremendous. And the, the thing I love about the play and why it has kind of a special place, it, it it the play is kind of a love letter to Chicago. Um, you know, it 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 references very specific neighborhoods and very specific landmarks and very specific streets and there are you know certain jokes about neighborhoods and things like that. And of course, in front of a Chicago audience, they got every joke and they 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 knew where Jefferson Park was and they knew the magicist sign and and you know they, they knew all of these things. And I remember just thinking, God, it's it's just such a warm kind of play. And then when I heard it was going to New York, the first thing I thought was, oh, the audiences there aren't gonna like it because it's such a a Chicago play. And even the way it's written, it's written in that kind of Midwest mindset that kind of everything's gonna be okay. You know, that kind of optimistic idea. And I just thought, I, I just don't know how a New York audience would take this play. And I mean, and I, I don't think it lasted very long on Broadway, unfortunately. Um, but that—that's kind of, and I, I agree. That's you know, Chicago audiences tend to be—I find tend to be ver- very warm and very they they are game for like you say, they're game for anything. Um, yeah, they'll, and they'll go with you.
1: They're in—they're in for an experience, and the 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 off—yeah, off, well, yeah, off loop or the uh, the non-equity has been so strong for so long seeing seeing you can see people who are obviously destined to probably leave the city <laughs> unfortunately right. at any at any 50 seat house in town and see marvelous performances and and just people really taking that your limitations can free you theory to the next level the uh, this, the creativity in all aspects of production are, are just marvelous.
0: It is. Um, uh, just a, a few more things uh, before we wrap up. Um, where, this is something I'm gonna kind of also ask everybody, um, w- what do you think, as far as stage combat goes, what do you think is, is the next evolution? You know, you've, 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 you've seen it evolve, you know, through a lot of different things. Where, where do you think it's, it's heading? Or, or where would you like to see it go?
1: um uh the only thing and it's based on what i've had to do in the last few months is um we're we're going to have to uh interface with technology in a way that we never have before i just staged virtual virtual violence which is kind of what i do anyway but <laughs> on uh, remote online violence for a remote online production of uh In Arabia, we'd all be kings. Uh, So I've got people in different cities, all on different Zoom chats, trying to uh, do stuff in in front of in some of them in their own living rooms, in front of green screen green screens, (laughs) and trying to figure out how to make that all work. Um, And then I've just been uh, working with uh, well, you know, Michelle Ladd, who's a for those of you who don't know, Michelle, she's a uh a stage combat person and a stunt person and uh, primarily a, a motion capture director who's worked on Pirates of the Caribbean and Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and all sorts of stuff um and I think there's no escaping technology for us now I don't know mm-hmm. where that's going to take us but I think that's in some iteration that's going to take us in the next to the next period because I think that's where uh theater is moving. If not, I hate to lose live theater, but I think we're going to have to deal with a a more technologically expanded version of it uh, in the future.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Even, I mean, even there, even, you know, plays now are, or we're, we're using, you know, motion capture technique and, and live kind of Mm -hmm. video. um, You know, a, a lot of these filmic techniques are being, are being used on stage. And, and I agree it's, it's, uh, you know the technology. I think will 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 help and hinder um, what we have to I do, know. and and you know kind of you know kind of like how stage fights had to kind of keep you know especially you know the the, the late '90s, early 2000s. You had all the you know, Matrix and things like that, and there was kind of a big shift into okay now martial arts, all martial arts, um, and so it, it it seems like it's kind of you know, that stage combat is it's kind of running to keep up with, with, with the film and, and technological industries. I, I think it's doing a better job than it has been. Um, but I, I know that's been, I know when I first started doing stage combat, uh, as you say, the unarmed, it was, and most of the unarmed I learned um, from various people. It was, you know, uh, John Wayne, it was old west bar fighting kind of a thing. Uh, and then, you know, again, in the late nineties, that all started to shift. And then everything's, uh, and, 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 and in the back when I started, you know, any Eastern martial art was a, it was a specialty thing. Oh, do a little bit of this here, a little bit of this there. But then, you know, when it started to kind of shift in the nineties, there was such kind of a, a, a big movement over to very Eastern martial, um, Unarmed looks, and I know a lot of things I learned from you, especially with your martial looks, martial backgrounds in both unarmed and knife. I, I learned a lot of that from you. Um, you know, the, just just some of the martial logic of it, um, and and just how those modifications can be made to be to make it more more eastern or more western. Um, and do you find that that your martial arts training is coming in more and more valuable? In that in that time,
1: um, yes and no. Um, not at the opera house so much, <laughs> uh, uh, but a little bit. Um, I'm I'm finding um, if I'm going to be relevant uh, teaching people uh, that I need to make sure that they can get on a set, sure, uh, and and be able to do what uh, the coordinator wants uh, and uh and also be able to have whether whether it's uh uh a short inru uh sequence or or my my dear late friend bob mcdougal uh used to refer to what we do as biker karate <laughs> uh it's it's not really any particular style but it's you you picked up a little bit here and a little bit there so everything gets kind of in a big amalgam mm-hmm. um and and that served me uh, very very well, unless you have a character that is very specifically uh, doing aikido or judo or jujitsu or um, uh, you can't we can't uh, throw punches the way we used to or, or deal with it the same way because the uh, the expectation of the audience has changed and you do it and you do some of that stuff and they just like oh you can't fight and and it takes them out of the, the play. At the same time, you try not to make it, uh, Blanche Dubois should probably not do a spinning back kick <laughs> if you can avoid it. True. Uh, so uh, again, it's, it's suiting the action to the word, trying to actually uh, have a big, uh, always trying to get the toolbox to be as big as possible.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: so that you can uh, tell the story in the most effective way.
0: Excellent. Well, um, Chuck, this kind of brings us uh, to the end of our time together. Thank you so much, but before you go, and this is something I'm going to ask of all of my guests on this podcast. Uh, could you share with us uh, a story, uh, uh, funny or cringeworthy, or something that kind of sticks in your mind from from your stage combat experiences?
1: Um, I, it's not much of a story, I guess, for anybody else to hear, but it actually touched my heart. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm sure you know uh, uh, the play, uh, She Kills Monsters. Yes. Uh, which has been done everywhere on the planet. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I was doing it here for Buzz 22 at the, at the uh, Steppenwolf garage. And um, Queen Yen, the, uh, the uh, playwright, uh, Facebook friended me. And I immediately said, yes, oh, awesome. Because <laughs> I wanted to chat with him and tell him how much I enjoyed working on his show. And he wrote me and um, he said, you don't remember me, probably. I was one of Mark Gwynn's kids down at Louisiana Tech, which I didn't know that. And he said, you and, you and Michael Chin were my two stage combat idols, because he'd been taking the, the stage combat workshop down at Louisiana Tech mm-hmm. the previous year. And I had no idea uh, that he had taken my classes, remembered me, or had, had uh, found anything of any value in it. So I was I actually was tickled pink
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Ab- abs- No, absolutely. I know, I know. Uh, Mark still speaks about him with great pride, um, and he's and he's done amazing things. Not only, not only in the. I think he's done great things for for our industry, because mm-hmm. um, his, his you know his fights are just pa- his, his plays are packed <laughs> full of fights, um, which which is great for us. And again, she kills monsters. You know, every high school and university. I'm probably the only person in the SAFD that hasn't choreographed it yet. Um, <laughs> um, I, um, I hope, um, but no, I, I, really, I, I, respect him a lot too, for what he's done. And because he is a stage combat guy and a fight choreographer, he, he understands too. He's, he's not going to write a fight. Like you say, said before, that's impossible to put on stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He knows what the, the possibilities and the limitations of stage combat are. And I think that that's really rare when you have a playwright that actually understands that you know, I've, I've read, I can't tell you how many scripts I've read where you know there'll be some moment of violence and I'll think you you can't do that live on stage 8 times a week that's that's damn near impossible um but yeah he he's done an amazing amazing uh work and I know he's um, I'm very proud to even be tangentially associated with him <laughs> Um, But uh, thank you again, Chuck, for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you all for listening to episode two. Please uh, stay tuned uh, for episode three coming uh, next week. And uh, again, if you haven't listened to episode one, you can go back and do that. Uh, Thank you to my guest, Chuck Coyle, and uh, keep fighting the good fight, everyone. Uh, Be safe and uh, take care of each other.